Good morning, Connect Church. I'm so pumped to be here with you all today. My name is Travis, if we've not gotten the chance to meet yet. I'm the Youth and Next Gen Pastor here at Connect, and I'm thrilled to be sharing with you while our team is in Guatemala, and that's exciting and something to be praying about as well. Yeah, we're excited. They got there safe. Um, I heard just now in between services that they had a lizard running around the compound in one of their rooms, and so that's really fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what you do, right? And so they're there in Guatemala. They got there safe after 16 hours of traveling, and it's, it's going to be awesome. Um, and so I'm excited to be here with you to take some time talking about something that I think will significantly impact you if you're a follower of Jesus, and I think it'll specifically significantly impact um, how you will ch interact with people who don't know Jesus and how you share with them. And so uh, before we actually get started, though, I wanted to take one second. I just remembered we did a back to school bash yesterday and it was awesome. And so if you came to volunteer at that, we had a whole bunch of school supplies donated at Camp Connect. And then we were able to package those into backpacks and send them out. And we had about 300 backpacks we were able to give away. And so we have a few extra as well. So if you know somebody who still needs one, you can come find me or Pastor Justin afterwards, and that'd be an awesome thing. Um, but that was a great way to serve our community. So thank you for those of you who helped with that. And so today we're going to be talking about this, because the reality is, is all believers are commanded to share the good news with other people. You see, um, every single person, from whether you just started following Jesus in the middle of Amazing Grace just a minute ago, to whether you've been following Jesus for a really, really long time, anybody who follows Jesus is supposed to share the good news with other people. You see, look what Jesus says in Matthew. He t this is kind of the context of what we're about to read, is Jesus already died. He rose again from the grave, and he's commissioning his disciples to go and start the movement that we call the church. And he tells them this, is after he's died, he's rose again, and he's talking to them. And you maybe have heard this passage. It's a very familiar one. It's called the Great Commission. And it says this, Jesus came to them being, and said to them, as his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so this is, this is important to start. All authority, all is all. So that means everything, all authority, all power, all of everything has been given to him because of what he did on the cross. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he has now taken the throne and God has given him power over all sorts of things, over everything. All of it belongs to him because of what he did. And then he says, go, therefore, we've been talking about the importance of therefore over the past few weeks. He says, because I have that power, you, my disciples, should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, first of all, I have been given and granted all of this authority throughout time and all the authority in the world and on, in, on our earth and in heaven. And because I have that authority, I'm actually going to empower you, you and me, the disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, which means they're converting to follow Jesus. And now you're going to teach them to observe everything that Jesus has taught. And then he ends on an encouraging note. 
Because if you read this, it can be pretty overwhelming up until this last verse here. Because when you read this and you go, oh, all the nations, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in this world. And if we're supposed to go and do this for everybody for all time, that's a massive task. Maybe even impossible when you think about it, when you just read this. But he ends it with, I am with you always to the end of the age. The same guy who's been given all authority and power on heaven and, and earth, right? The same guy who has all of that power is with us while we go and do this. He doesn't just abandon us in the middle of it. So Jesus here tells us that he's in charge, that he is with us, and that all followers are supposed to go and make disciples. But what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't tell us how. There's no instruction manual right here for how to go about bringing the word to all the nations. There's no like, you should do this and then talk to them about this and then bring them to this passage and then do this thing with. Nope, there's none of that. He just says to go and do it. So the question is, if we're supposed to go and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with other people, how are we supposed to go about doing it? In other words, the question I'm asking today is what is evangelism? Evangelism is a big church word. If maybe you've never, if you haven't been around the church or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that's totally okay. Evangelism is simply sharing the good news of Jesus. But the question is, is what is the process that we're supposed to do when we are to go and make disciples, to go and evangelize into the world? How do we go about it? What are we to do? Because let's be honest, I think if we're honest with ourselves for just a minute, those of us who have grown up around the church or maybe you've been around the church just a little bit, when you hear the word evangelism or when I say you need to go and tell other people about Jesus, a lot of us are probably struck with fear. A lot of us are probably fearful of being able to do that. And maybe it's because you're thinking to yourself, well, that means I have to become a really good salesman because I have to be able to go door to door, make a really good pitch for why Jesus is the thing that people should be doing and convince them and persuade them. And I have to be really good at arguing. I might have to know the scripture really well. And maybe I just don't have that. Maybe I've only been following Jesus for a little bit. And so when I see that I'm supposed to go and evangelize that, that's terrifying to me. Or maybe you've been following Jesus a really long time and you're still thinking to yourself, I don't know how to do this. Maybe you think, when you think about evangelism, you think about talking to strangers like that. Maybe you think about having something like the Romans Road uh, memorized, or you have like tracks in your pocket at all times, and you think to yourself, I have to go and like be able to make this really good presentation of the gospel and share it with people. Or maybe you're so terrified to share the gospel with somebody else that you think to yourself, man, I can't really do that. But if I could invite them to come to church with me, then Pastor Travis or Jay or Justin or Randy or Larry, they'll do it for me. Like I won't, if I can just bribe them with a donut to come and sit in the chairs with me, then I can actually tell them the gospel without having to tell them the gospel and that'll be good. I did my job. I got them here into the walls of the church, right? But in reality, all of us, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, all of us are charged with the same command to share the gospel with other people. And that terrifies us. And I don't really know how good we are at it because I think sometimes we get caught up in the, in the how without realizing what we're supposed to be doing. So we're in that how question. How do we possibly share the gospel? What does that mean? And that's what we're going to kind of dive into over the course of the next couple minutes here. We're going to look at this passage in Mark chapter 5. And uh, the context of Mark chapter 5 here that we're going to be jumping into, we're going to look at the first 20 verses here. The moment right before the passage we're going to read. The moment right before it is if you've heard the story of Jesus being asleep on the boat and they're in the middle of the, ocean, of the sea and this big storm comes in and he's asleep in the boat and the disciples are freaking out because the boat's starting to capsize and there's this huge storm and they wake Jesus up and they're like, don't you care about us? And he's like, yeah. And then he calms the storm. You've maybe heard that story. That just happened. So this is, they're in the middle of the calmed sea. They come to shore and then this, what we're about to read. So they come to, they came to the other side of the sea right after he had just calmed it and to the country of Gersonese. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so back up for a second. This is what's going on here, right? So he calms the storm. They get to the other side of the beach and he steps off the boat and somebody runs up to him. That's A, strange. You ever like leave a car and somebody just charges you immediately? Or better yet, you ever have like a kid that you're maybe you're babysitting or maybe one of your own and they don't remember things very well, but you tell them on like Tuesday, hey, we'll get ice cream tomorrow. And the second you wake up, they're right at your bedside and they're like, we're getting ice cream today. <laughs> like it's like, it's this moment, right? Like there's somebody who ran up to Jesus out of nowhere and he's like, I need to talk to this guy. So this guy meets Jesus right when he gets out of the boat and we know that something's not right because who runs out of a tomb? Like who runs out of a graveyard? Like if you pull out of a, if you jump out of a car and you see a graveyard over there and someone comes running at you, you've got some several questions that are probably all fair. And we know that he has an unclean spirit. So the next section here will go on. We're going to learn about this guy because he needs some context. And it says this about this guy. This guy lived among the tombs. Okay, this is weird. He doesn't live in town. This guy, he lives in the graveyard. Okay, that's weird. And no one could bind him anymore. Okay, that means somebody at some point had bound him and they had been successful before. But now something has changed, has changed and those chains that we're about to read about, those don't work anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Often. This has happened a lot. We don't know for how long, but it's enough that the people knew. And But he would wrench the chains apart, iron. He would break the shackles in pieces. Nobody in the town or the city or the country had the strength to subdue him. Nobody could stop this guy. Anything they did to him, he just broke out. 
Night, and this is what he was doing, night and day among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this guy was terrorizing the city, terrorizing the countryside of where they were. You couldn't go a day without hearing him yelling and cutting himself to pieces. So you have this guy loud, boisterous, crazy guy charge Jesus on the shore right after he gets out of the boat and he's bloodied and he's yelling at Jesus about something that we're going to read about here in just a second. So this is what happens. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This guy was out doing his own thing and he could see other people. But when Jesus was there in a distance, he's like, I have to run. And he falls at Jesus's feet. You don't fall at somebody's feet unless you know who they are and if they have power over you. How often do you fall at other people's feet? Not very often, I would bet. So this guy, something's going on with him. And here's what happens. It says, and he was crying out with a loud voice. And he said, what, you ha what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Okay, look, this guy knew who Jesus was more than even his disciples did at this point. His disciples, this is early, this is Mark chapter 5. That's still on one hand for those of you counting at home. And so it's early in Jesus' ministry into the chapters of Mark. Not many people know or understand who Jesus is. He had his 12 people who came to follow him, but they didn't really understand who Jesus was either. They are just like, he's here, he's caring for me. I got to see what this guy is about. But this demon-possessed man, oh, he knows who Jesus is. He calls him by his proper government-given name, right? All the syllables, all, all the adjectives are in here, right? You've got son of the most high God, not just a God, you're in it. Like He's like, Jesus, you're the guy, first of all. And I also know that while all the rest of these people had no strength over me, you do. So don't torment me. It goes on. For he, being Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So this guy charges Jesus, falls at his feet, begging for his life. And Jesus is saying, you need to come out of this dude. You need to get out of here. Now, for, before we move on, because Jesus is about to interview a demon, I want to like take a second and pause for a minute. Here's what you should not do, okay? This is not like an instruction manual for what to do when you come in contact with a demon. Demons are real. You might come in contact with one. We can talk about that a different day. But this is not what you personally should do. This is Jesus, son of the most high God, all authority in heaven and on earth, king of kings guy. This is how he interacts with a demon. And you're not Jesus, so don't, don't, don't do what he's about to do, okay? So, but here's what he does, okay? He says this, verse 9. He's, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Remember, don't, don't talk to a demon more than you have to, okay? But Jesus does. He's like, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Okay, so this guy doesn't just have one demon, not just one unclean spirit. He's got several. 
which is starting to make sense of why he A would be crazy and B would be yelling a lot and C would be able to break stuff. If you have a lot of demons living in you, you're going to be kind of wild, I would bet, <laughs> right? So he talks to him and gets his name. And then this is what happens. Then the demon out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. Remember, they knew Jesus's power. They are sitting here begging for their life. They've gotten to the point that they know that their time in this world is not very long, and they're bargaining they're like, don't, don't send me out. Don't kill me. Don't do whatever. Like, just if you can send me into these pigs and like, Jesus, is that an option? Can we just go into these pigs instead? Like, please, 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 please don't kill me. Right? Please don't get me out of here. So then Jesus gives them permission. The demons needed Jesus's permission to go forward because Jesus has that much power over them. They knew they couldn't continue operating the same way because he had to get permission. And it says this, And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they started drowning in the sea. Okay, so 2,000 demons at least, that's not just one demon or two or three. That's 2,000 that's a lot of demons in one guy. You'd probably be crazy too if you had 2,000 other voices competing for headspace all at the same time, would you not? And so could you think about this for just a second? Like, let's just pause on this verse. If you watch this happen, can you talk about how wild that would be for a second? Like, I don't want to just breeze past this. You're sitting there on a beachside. You're looking over, and there's a cliff into the ocean. 2,000 pigs, which would have been very loud, by the way. And you would have just been sitting there watching. His disciples are there, and we're about to see who else was there when this happened. And you just see all of a sudden Jesus is talking to this one guy, and he's yelling at Jesus, and then it stops. And then 2,000 pigs run and jump off a cliff and drown in the sea all at the same same time. That's insane, right? Like that, that is actually crazy. If you watch that happen, like you ever see the Lion King when Mufasa dies and all the antelope run down the hill and kill him, right? It's the same thing, but with pigs. And instead of Mufasa dying, they die, right? But like, that's what's going on here. If you saw that, well, let's see what they say. This is what happens. The herdsmen, this is whose job it was to keep those pigs alive, by the way. So they all just died. The, the, the pigs did. So the herdsmen watch this happen. They flee and told it in the city and in the country, and the people all came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Okay, so here's what's going on. The herdsmen are standing there, minding their own business, watching these pigs. 
Jesus shows up, all of their pigs run off a cliff and die. They freak out, understandably, because you would too. And they run into the rest of the town. They're like, guys, you have to come see this. This is, there's 2,000 dead pigs. And I, don't, like you, I, I have to show you because this is wild. And so they go out, they grab everybody. They see two things. They see all the things that had happened. They see the dead pigs sitting there. And then they see the crazy demon-possessed guy who had just been yelling loudly, cutting himself, couldn't be subdued, making a terror of the town, totally normal and fully clothed, which tells us he was naked before, right? So you had, <laughs> you had a crazy naked guy running around your town. Now he's normal. And the town is terrified. They're, they're scared out of their mind. And what do they do next? Verse 17, it says, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They were so scared about what happened that they say, Jesus, you can't stay here anymore. You've got to go. Which to me says they're probably not afraid that the demon-possessed guy is normal. They're afraid of something else. They witness something wild and crazy, but what are, they at, what are they so afraid of that they would be so fearful to the point that they beg Jesus to leave? Why were they so scared? And this got me thinking. 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs. But Israelites didn't keep pigs. So I started going down this rabbit trail and I read a bunch of scholarly articles about history of Roman economics and all these things. And when Rome came in and took over Israel, that's around when Israel started keeping pigs because pigs were super valuable in the Roman world. So Israel started keeping pigs, which they didn't do before because pigs were viewed as unclean according to the, Rome, according to the Levitical law. And so they started keeping pigs because they were like, we can make a profit off of this now that Rome is here. And so they had 2,000 pigs out in this countryside. It, in around scholars would argue that depending on the quality of pig each one was worth about five to ten denarii which equates to around 250 dollars today which if you do some quick math that's half a million dollars on the conservative side that just ran off a cliff and drowned so this town and then if you really take that down even further I then looked and read some articles and read some things about the, the yearly amount of money that it costs to live for a family. That half a million would have been about 60 families' entire yearly income in an instant. And more than likely, the cities and towns that were around the, that herd of pigs, their entire economy was based around the well-being of those pigs. So the herdsman who was in charge of keeping their economy alive, literally, not just like figuratively keeping it alive, they were trying to keep these animals alive, they freak out because all the pigs just died. They go and grab the town who is so profoundly affected by it, they just lost their entire livelihood for at least a year. And they're so scared they asked Jesus to leave because of it. So not only did they lose half a million dollars, 
Not only did 60 families, not like you can just go create more pigs. You gotta, that, that takes time to get 2,000 pigs. So they lost all of this. And for what? To save one dude? To save one naked crazy guy? How would you feel in this moment if you were the demon-possessed man? You know, at some level, if I was the demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed and no longer had 2,000 demons living inside of me, I would probably like, be at least at some level relieved that there's not 2,000 other voices sitting inside of me. That'd be really great and helpful because I'd have like my life back, right? So there's some level of relief. But now... The whole town is riled up against the guy who just saved your life. The, the, the guy who advocated for you when no one else would. They've turned on him and they're trying to kick him out. If you're the demon-possessed man, you're probably starting to think, man, they're going to turn on me after Jesus is gone. He's terrified. And look what happens. Verse 18. It says, and he, being the demon, or Jesus, was getting into the boat, right, to leave because they asked him to. The man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. He says, Jesus, I, anything but staying here, man. I can't possibly stay here anymore. I need to get out of town. I can't face these people because they just saw all of it. They just saw everything that's happened in my life. They just, I'm the reason that this happened because I had the demons and now they don't have their, they don't have money or a way to sustain themselves for at least a year. And they're going to turn on me. Jesus, you need to take me with you. I need to get out of town. You ever felt like that? The moments where you would rather leave town than face your friend? The moments where you would rather leave town than face your spouse. The moments where you would rather leave town than face your kids or your boss. That's where he's at. And he's thinking, look, Jesus, if you leave, they blame me and I can't deal with that. Jesus' response is important. Look what he says. And Jesus did not permit him said to him. Okay, so he says, you can't come with me. I know all of that for you just said. I was there, man, <laughs> right? And he's like, you can't come with me. Now here's why. Pay attention for a second. He says, go home. I'll go back up. Go home to your friends and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He tells him three things. He tells this demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed, he tells him three things. You can go to the next slide now. He says, go home. Now, think about home for a second. Home is where people know you. Home isn't some strange, ethereal place that you've never been to. That's called visiting right? Home is where you belong. Home is where people have watched you, have known you, have grown up with you, have understood your life. Maybe they know your family. Home is where 
you want to be. And he says, first of all, go home. And don't just go home to anybody. Because if for some of us, if we go home, there's plenty of people I don't know in Akron. There's plenty of people I do know in Akron, but there's tons I don't, right? So I could easily go home and just exist. But he says, nope, you're going to go home and you're going to go specifically to your friends. Your friends are the people who you love and care about the most. Your friends are the people who love and care about you the most, who know you, who love you, who care about you, who want to be with you, who know your story, or maybe they don't know your story. And he says, go home to those people, the people you love the most. And he says, actually, what you're going to do is you're going to share your story with them. You're going to tell them all the things that just happened between me and you and this demon and the pigs and all the other things that just, all the things that transpired. You need to go home to the people you love and care about and share your story. And it's going to make a difference. Jesus has him stay because this man's personal life change story was the only thing that could change the lives of the people in this specific town. Look what happens. And he, being the demon-possessed man, did what Jesus said. And he goes away, and he begins to proclaim in the Decapolis. This is like, think like Roman coffee shop, minus coffee. Like, this is where people hang out, right? And he says, and he goes to the Decapolis, and he tells them how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. He goes home to his friends, the people he loved and care about, and he shares his story. And the people were amazed. And their tone went from, Jesus, get out of here. You cost our economy everything. To marveling at what Jesus did. Because this man shared his own experiences and stories with the people he cared about. So we're kind of back at the same question. What even is evangelism? I think we got a pretty good clue from this demon-possessed man. Maybe it's something to do with what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, Peter starts with that for those of us who follow Jesus, that means you revere him. It means to actually understand that he's your savior and that that changed your life. It changed your life in everything. Because Jesus changes people's lives. And you revere Christ as Lord. And if you revere Christ as Lord, Peter says this. He says that you are going to have to share the reason for the hope that is within you. At some point, you're going to come in contact with somebody that you love and care about. And they're going to say to you, why do you care so much about Jesus? Why are, are you circumstances with a smile on your face. That doesn't make sense. Why do you give 10% of your money to the church every single month? Why, like several questions you could ask. And Peter says, you need to be ready to give the reason for the hope that's within you. 
So maybe the heart of evangelism is sharing your story of how Jesus changed you. It isn't any more complicated than that. It's simply, what's your story? Can you share it to the people that you love and care about? Evangelism isn't some sort of long theological diatribe where you have to try and prove that they're wrong and you're right. It isn't about how much Bible you know. It isn't about how much scripture you have memorized. It isn't how well you can present the Romans road. Are any of those things bad necessarily? No. But evangelism isn't necessarily about going and talking to people you don't know because more often than not, Jesus asks you to talk to people you do know. He asks you to talk to your friends. And at the core of evangelism, if, if the core is sharing your story, the question becomes then, how did Jesus change you? What was the moment that you knew that Jesus impacted your life? Or moments, it's a constantly moving thing, right? In what ways have you seen Jesus intervene in your life that you can share with somebody else? And when Peter ends that, that verse, he says, he says that when we share that story, we need to have gentleness and respect. The posture of gentleness and respect goes a long way when you're sharing a life change story. And here's why. Your life was changed, was it not? You went from death to life. And if you believe what the scripture says, it means that you are no longer what you once were, that that old self has died and you've been resurrected as a new creation. And becoming something new is scary. And so when you share that story with somebody else, they might not be ready. <laughs> they might not, or maybe they are ready to hear it because they love you and they care about you and they want to hear what you have to say. But the idea of them changing terrifies them. And so that's why you have to have gentleness and respect. It's not about proving them right or wrong. It's about here's how Jesus changed me and I think he can change you too. It's almost like when Jesus changes your life, he changes everything about it. And if you have that story of how Jesus changes your life, that that story can't be argued, that you, no one can take your story from you. People can debate history. People can debate whatever else they, that you can debate in the Bible. And some of those debates are really good and you should have them and be ready to talk about them in some ways. But they can't debate that you were once one way and Jesus changed me this way. And that's the only thing I can, that's all, that's all I know, is that Jesus changed my life. It's how Jesus can so easily command all believers for all time, whether you're the most new of believers that you just accepted Jesus a second ago to the oldest of believers. That's why it's universal across all believers because every single person who follows Jesus has a story. You have the ability to share what he did for you regardless of how long you've been following him, which brings us to our connection point. 
connection point today is this, is everyone has a story. Share yours in Jesus' name. I put everyone in yellow here on purpose because sometimes when you hear me or somebody else say everybody has a story, you immediately discount yourself. Because, man, I didn't really do much in my life. You know, like, I don't have an exciting story. I, don't have a, I didn't do anything crazy. I just kind of followed Jesus, and that was, that was my life, whatever. This is mundane. This isn't inspirational. Nobody would make a movie out of my story. So, like, why would everyone? Every single one of you. If, you, if Jesus has changed your life, you have a story. End of statement. Here's the thing about stories, too. They're contextual. They're incredibly contextual. If you open up a book, just grab one at Barnes & Noble and open up to the middle and start reading, you're going to be confused. You're not going to know what the characters are, who they're, what they're doing, why they're there, what's going on, any of that. So it seems to me that your story most often makes the most sense to your friends into the people you care about the most. Because they're in the middle of it with you. They've seen you before, they've seen you during, they've seen you after, they know what's going on. And it makes sense to them. It's all the people. When I say contextual, I mean your friends, your family, your coworker, your neighbor, your classmate, your teachers. God places those specific people around you because your story makes the most sense to them. And for those of you who follow Jesus, I want you to do something for me, okay? This is a challenge I want you to do. Something that you can walk away with as a next step to start doing this, okay? Think in your mind for a second, who is one person, just one, in your regular walk of life that you know for a fact doesn't know Jesus. You got their name in there in your head? And when I say regular walk of life, that one college friend who you see once or twice a year at the reunion thingy for the whatever, I mean like somebody that you talk to and interact with almost every day. Maybe it's somebody down the hall at your house. Maybe it's your coworker's desk who's next to yours. Maybe it's your barista at Starbucks who you've talked to every single day for the past five years. I don't know who your one person is, but do you have them in your head for a second? Write that person's name down. Like right now, like write them down. Either on a piece of paper, in your phone, I don't know. Just write it down so you know who that person is. Here's what I want you to do this week. Super simple. I just want you to commit to praying for that one person by name every single day this week. That's just seven times. I want you to commit to praying for them. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to tell them you're praying for them. You don't have to do any of that. Pray for their well-being. Pray for what's going on in their life. Pray that the Lord will show up in their life and make sense to them. And whatever else comes to mind as you're praying for that one person, pray him. Pray it. And here's the big prayer request. This is the big one. It's going to take some boldness, but I think you can do it. I want you to pray for an opportunity to talk to that person and share your story with them sometime this coming month. 
Just an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that's within you. That's it. And then that way you can tell them your story, no matter how grand or how mundane you think your story is. Just an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them because you know that he changed your life. So will you do that? Pray for that one person for a week. See what happens. I promise it'll make a difference. I promise it'll change their life. I promise it'll change your life. And for those of you in here who have been patiently listening, who don't know Jesus, you just heard me talk about Jesus changing people's life, and you're sitting here maybe thinking to yourself, I have a story, but Jesus hasn't changed mine yet. I have the best news for you. Are you tired? Tired of being outcasted? Tired of going on life the same way and the same patterns and living the same way you've always lived and it keeps ending in the same result over and over and over again? Are you tired? Tired of living in a way that you know if you keep going is just going to end in death. If that's you, I can tell you for a fact that Jesus can change your life. He's waiting for you. He's on your side. He's with you. He loves you. He created you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you so that you could be a new person in him. To break the cycle of whatever you're in, bring you new life and bring you joy. There's no magic prayer. There's nothing that like you have to walk through or steps you have to take. It's simply just reaching out to Jesus and saying, I'm tired of living the way that I am. I need your help, Jesus. Will you save me? It's as simple as that. And he'll show up, I promise. And he'll take you from death to life through a relationship that lasts forever. And next week, I'm really excited. Pastor Justin and I are going to be sharing our stories with you together. And so next Sunday, you'll get to hear from both of us, and we'll get to kind of walk this out together as you're praying for your one person to maybe help you build up the courage to share your story too, okay? I'm going to pray for us, and then Justin's going to come up as well. Lord, we love you. You show up in ways that only you can. We're grateful and we're thankful for that grace because we for sure don't deserve it. We're We're thankful that that you intervene and show up and give us opportunities to share how you changed our lives. I ask that you would continue to change people's lives. I ask for my friends in here who are praying for their one person, that you would provide that opportunity for you to share their story. And that maybe some crazy life change would happen through that. 
And I pray for my friends in here who maybe are waiting for you to change their life. That you, that you would break down whatever walls are built up in their heart from them doing that. That you'd be present with them. That you'd show them how much you love them and how you meet them in the middle of their pain. And how you bring them from death to life. And they just surrender. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.